Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kind of better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode, Rabbi Manus Friedman talks with Tim Mahoney about his new Patterns of Evidence film. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm good. You're in Minnesota? I'm back in Minnesota again, but I was traveling quite a bit this year. Exciting things? Yeah, we're, uh, we're working on the new film, Patterns of Evidence. Uh, Moses, the theme is Moses. Uh, could Moses have written the first books of the Bible, the Torah, and... Uh, in in my particular case, uh, as I've went and talked with different scholars, you know, there's people that that are saying that that wasn't possible, that Moses wasn't the author, that there were multiple authors, and so we went on uh, a journey t- uh, through Germany, Austria, Oxford, England. Then we went to Israel and filmed. I went to the Dead Sea Scrolls. I went to a new cave uh, that they're exploring, and there's more caves to be found where the Dead Sea Scrolls were. And uh, then we went to Jordan and we filmed uh, recreations. So we've been pretty busy. It was a five-country trip. Wow. So what kind of archaeological evidence can you find to support who wrote the Torah? I think it goes back to um, the first, really it goes back to what would Moses have used to write the, you know, the first book. Some, some people say, well, what was writing available? If he would have written something as sophisticated and as beautiful as the Torah with all the nuances in it, uh, was there Hebrew writing even, even available? And there's evidence. Yes, um, uh, there's evidence and there is, uh, uh, well, it depends on how you interpret the evidence. Uh, the evidence uh, that we were looking for uh, uh, was uh, related to the first scripts. Like, what were, what was the, what was, when was writing available? And it goes back to this question of the alphabet. And what we uncover is the fact that there's this early form of writing which comes out of hieroglyphs, actually. Uh, somebody who wasn't an Egyptian but was Semitic. And as your audience knows, obviously Jewish people are Semitic, but there's multiple people in the Semitic category, and uh, uh, the Israelites were one segment of that category. Um, So somebody in Egypt back in the... uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the time uh, in the Middle Kingdom, somebody at that time, in fact, it actually matches the same time that we show that Joseph lived, the exact pharaoh, the exact time, uh, somebody started exploring with the idea of an alphabet. And they took uh, symbols from Egyptian hieroglyphs, and there's, a, there's like a, a bowl with horns, and, you know, they took this symbol, which eventually becomes the letter A in our alphabet. But uh, so that's an example of taking these characters and then modifying them into what became this, what's called proto-Sinaitic or proto-Canaanite. 
script. So the exciting thing is to is exploring, is this a connection to the earliest form of Hebrew? And most scholars today would say no, the earliest form of the alphabet really was uh, Phoenician, but they say that they can't tell the difference between Phoenician and the early forms of Hebrew or Aramaic, that they all look the same, they're identical. In fact, a book here, the world's oldest alphabet that I've been, you know, it's one of our, one of our authors is Joseph Neve. And uh, he basically says that, that those three alphabets are indistinguishable, but they attribute the Phoenician to the earliest form of this. But very, very interesting. The other Phoenician changes quite a bit, Aramaic changes, but the one that stays closest to this earliest form of the alphabet, this proto-Canaanite or proto-Sinaitic as it's called, is the Hebrew. And so uh, uh, we also uncovered other information about this by uh, Sir Flinders Petrie, who is the father of Egyptology. And he, in one of his books uh, called Researches in Sinai, basically says that these, he was one who found these inscriptions. He says this proves, or it disproves the fact that the Phoenicians were the only ones of the alphabet, that the Israelites, 500 years before the Phoenicians, had the ability to write. And so that's what this new film is going to be exploring. And there are some people that are saying that not only that, but they can actually read them as Hebrew. Uh, it's very fascinating. And after the first film, the, um, the Exodus, uh, just seeing the, um, the images of uh, the architecture in the Goshen, and uh, the tomb of Yosef and his statue, and that he's wearing a robe with many colors. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy that in the end of days, the truth will sprout from the earth. <laughs> like oh. You're digging it out from under the earth mm -hmm. and finding the same truths that we already know from heaven, you know, from, from the Torah. So it is really an amazing uh, exploration and it's like, you know, we've talked about this many times. This is much more exciting and much more significant than any film ever. Hmm. Well, thank you. So uh, great, great success in, in, these, in these endeavors. Well, I'll tell you, the reason why I shifted over to uh, where we're going to go next is we're, I'm working now on the route of the Exodus and the questions of miracles the Red Sea parting. Uh, the, we have a series of films that we're working on. As you know, I've talked to you about this. And, and because this is a huge story. And uh, the idea that does God actually act in history? And, uh, and can we see the evidence of that? Um, it appears as if he, he picked a particular people to work with and say, okay, I'm going to work with these people and they're going to, they're going to record all that I'm doing and tell my story. And so that's the investigation that I've been involved with. And this has been about 16 years now for me. And I think we've known each other for about that amount of time. Um, and we're going into our 17th year. Uh, and I've really appreciated uh, all of your insight. I think you've done a wonderful job of really helping to tell the story uh, of, of, of what happened and, uh, and across uh, multi-cultures, you know, you, you're coming from the Jewish perspective, uh, myself coming from a Christian perspective. 
and we have actually Muslims involved with this as well, telling the story. And, and it's a, it's a 3,500 year old story that is in great contention right today, whether it happened, but so much depends upon the ideas of origin, the ideas of, of just about everything, you know, a moral law. So much. Yeah. Our believers question the need for this. We believe it. We know it's true because it says so in the Torah. Why do we need this evidence? Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is the opposite. Knowing that it's a true story and knowing that it actually happened, then there's got to be evidence. It's not the evidence that proves the story. It's the story that, that demands evidence because two million people went from X to Y, there's got to be evidence. And if you haven't found the evidence, it's because you haven't looked in the right places. Okay. Right, very good. I have to share something with you. Remember when you invited, uh, I, you invited me over with David Roll, and I think it was when you're, uh, uh, is it Sukkoth when you have the tabernacles? Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, I have to tell you something very, very uh, we're, explain the story. We're, it, what it means is that they're, when they were in the wilderness, they had these little booths that they lived in, correct? Yeah. Okay, well, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> what? Did you find any? Yes. You found some booths? Well, we found that, well, I didn't find them, but I was brought to them. Uh, uh, there is area, there are areas in the Negev where they have found these small stone structures in different groupings and they match what these little booths would be what would look like where you would put uh something over the top of them they're small dwellings uh, i'll have to show you the imagery of it but uh the uh how can we tell when you said that it's evidence it's a story that man's evidence and so this is one of the big issues is time is because a lot of this evidence is earlier in time than when most people are looking for it. And that's the reason why they dismiss it. And uh, so what does patterns of evidence do? It says, well, what does the story say? You know, what does the story say? And where can we find the pattern? And once again, there are these uh, uh, areas that match the booths. And I filmed it at them in the, in the Negev. Uh, and uh, if you think about it, if there are that many people for the reason of herds and for grazing and all that, they probably spread out uh, because into different groups. And they were different tribes as well, obviously the 12 tribes. So they had to move uh, to find grazing areas because during that time of wilderness, does it say then that for 40 years they were in booths or how does it express that? It doesn't give the exact uh, number of years, but throughout, throughout the journey, yeah. So what we what was what I was shown was a whole series on a hilltop, where there was area for grazing and, and where where they had where these this community had built these short, uh, walled, uh, rooms, uh, circular rooms in little communities, and they were all up on the ridges, just like we've just like what we, we we've talked about. That that looks. It, does, it looks like a temporary dwelling, but it had, it was like they weren't there for a long time, but they were there for a long enough time that they would go to the work to build these out of stone. And then apparently they had uh, boards across the top or branches across the top where they had some type of covering. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have to say, when you look at that, it, 
you can see where this comes from. It's, it's connects the pattern. And, um, Look like my sukkah? Well, no, you don't have stones on yours, I don't think, right? <laughs> you just go get some. Uh, but it's, it, I'll, show you, I'll show you the pictures. It's, it, it's really. But the other thing is, guess what? In ancient times, if you think a big clue here for the wandering is, is if, if it says that because the people didn't go into the land, because the Israelites were, when Joshua and Caleb and the rest of the spies came back and reported that, you know, and, and two said we should go and 10 said we shouldn't, there's giants, we can't take the land. And because of their faith, lack of faith, they, they were, they had to wander and that whole generation had to die out. Uh, well, when that generation died out, they had to bury them somewhere. And they didn't all die at the same time. Right. So what is another clue to look for the story is the graves in the wilderness. And uh, this is another area in the future that we're seeing, a, uh, we're exploring patterns for graves because ancient people just weren't put out in the sand. They, they made burial mounds. And um, there, I was shown, I, I, on this last trip to Israel, Archaeologist showed me a path, <laughs> a path of graves, and it's it's something you know because you you could see that if they were dying along the way, they were burying them along the way, and there's an ancient road that leads up through Israel, and um, uh, uh, up through the land of the Negev, and 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 then there's other graves that are in other places as well that we're looking at that that. Uh, uh, and you can back to that time. You can. That's what we're. That's what we're understanding. Yes, that you can date it back to an earlier time, like what this is. And it's not that time of Ramesses. Remember, in our first film, we talked about the fact that Ramesses potentially was the location, but not the time in history. That it was earlier than that. Right. Same thing. So that's what I. This one group of archaeologists that I was talking with. Uh, was looking at and they were basically saying this is earlier uh these things happen earlier that's where we're seeing the evidence for it Amazing. so uh, didn't you find three thousand graves near a mountain that looks like mount sinai yes there's a large uh, uh graveyard also in that area near jebel laws in saudi arabia so what's happening now is in the next several films uh the first one that we're dealing with is could Moses have written the Torah and that's going to be a two hour uh, it's two hours and it's sort of the author and the alphabet always challenging to figure out what's the right title uh, working on the titles now but it's going to be mainly that question of could Moses have written the first five books of the you know the Torah and for Christians it would be first five books of the Bible the uh, uh, that I wanted to ask that, I wanted to, to explore that question because everything else then, if we, can, if we can give you more confidence that this was possible, then everything else builds on a much stronger foundation. And, um, uh, and, and so we were able to, I think, build a very com compelling argument that this was, this is no doubt in my mind that this was possible. And not only that, but that the author, the development of this was so ingenious. I'm, if you know, if you ever think about this, 
you and I talked a little bit about this, but this isn't scientific, but if you think about it, that the, the alphabet is, this is my, my take on it, this is my reflections, but the alphabet is, uh, is uh, universally believed as one of the most powerful instruments that we have. And uh, the fact that you can take just a few letters, uh, you know, 27 letters, and create an alphabet that children can learn, now, if you think about hieroglyphs and uh, cuneiform, these other forms of writing, well, they, that took years for scribes, and it was a very small group of people that could learn that. But all of a sudden, an alphabet comes along. It's so simple that children could, could, could learn it. And what does the Bible say? Moses says, to write these on your doorposts and teach them to your children. Think about that. Uh, uh, now we have something, a gift, so well. So I see in a sense, and, and I'm going to say from my, you know, I'm exploring this as a person who wants to know, is this true? Am I supposed to, am I going to believe in this? Is this true? That something now so powerful and so simple as an alphabet, it seems to me to be almost a, a divine gift that could be, could, could be used around the world. And you can use it for all sorts of other things. But now you understand, you know, uh, and if this is the word of God, then what does that word need to, to be communicated? It needs letters, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's something really powerful here that is uh, that I get very excited about when I think about that. So I didn't know that when we had, we got into uncovering this whole question of Moses's ability to write, that you would uncover something as simple as the the, the creation of an alphabet, and it happens around the time of Joseph, and so it's a powerful, powerful. The whole world was created with those letters. God said, let there be light. What, what, did, what did that word mean? Before there were people, before there was anybody using language. So it's like, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In other words, the, the word meant something. He mm -hmm. said light, and the result was light. That's good communication. <laughs> yeah. It's effective communication. Well, words have power, don't they? Uh, I mean, you can see it. Uh, people ruin their careers by speaking the wrong word. Uh, and uh, so the so words are so, so powerful. And the combination of words are incredibly powerful. And, um, and, and the use of that. So communication through word and through language uh, is what, I, you know, we're going to continue to be exploring. And what does that mean? But so that's the reason why this first uh, focus had to be on this. And now that we had uh, this, meaning, uh, was it possible? And I can, I can tell you, I don't be a spoiler alert, but this, you know, we show that it is possible. Whereas other people are saying it wasn't possible. You say, no, absolutely, it was possible. And not only that, but there's a connection. The, it, it follows the story of the Israelites because the first form, the first time this inscriptions show up in history is in Egypt. This, and later on, they, they, they migrate. The inscriptions migrate up to, to Israel and to the land of Canaan. What, what happens with the Israelites? Eventually they migrate. So, that, I mean, it's matching the history. The alphabet is matching the history of the Israelites' time in Egypt, as well as their time when they go in the conquest of the Promised Land, and, and, it, and as it grows. And then we found other ancient 
uh, scholars who basically said that Moses taught grammar to the Jews and, and they taught it to the Phoenicians and the Phoenicians taught it, you know, therefore. Uh, it goes on. And you knew that there was a relationship between uh, King David and uh, Solomon as they were building the temple and, and the kings of Lebanon. And so, uh, so when they built the temple. So all this to say, this is the fun stuff we get to go and explore. And um, I have to tell you, there's, I don't know if I have it around here, around here, but uh, I went and saw also, I don't know if you heard about these giant footprints, but uh, another archaeologist after the Six-Day War uh, went uh, and they went into the Jordan Valley and I think it was after the Six-Day War, and they, they, they had control over the Jordan Valley, and they started looking at the archaeology, and they found these, uh, these stone areas that are in the shape of a giant footprint. And um, um, Adam Zertal was the archaeologist. He's passed away. I met him about 10 years ago, and he also thinks he's found an area where Jacob word I'm um, sorry not Jacob about Joshua had his altar at Ebal um, and so it's all interconnected there but they found five of these footprints throughout that area and they think it could be where they brought where uh, the Israelites brought the tabernacle and there was a place of worship because there was like an amphitheater there and you can go see it today I mean if you wanted to you, you can go to that area and see it and uh uh, there's also a pathway around that footprint with like stones where you would walk. And I don't know the, the right term, but I was with a man by the name of uh, uh, Aaron Lipkin, really good guy, uh, Lipkin Tours. And um, he, um, <laughs> he said there's a, a term that they use when they go up to, go up to worship or something. And I think the term also has almost the word to circle in it. I don't know what he, he was referring to. I have to talk to him again about that. But here's this path that goes around this footprint. And if it was a tabernacle there and people were praying and circling, circling around it, uh, it would be fascinating. But these are examples of how, of things that are, as you start to see it, these clues start to come together. And you're starting to see the story of God acting in history, through the actions of the people who, who were worshiping by building, whether these footprints are related or not, there's a, there's a case that can be made that they are. How, how large are these footprints? About the size of a New York City block. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, they're like 100, uh, they're probably uh, 100, 100, 150 yards long. I mean, they're, they're big. You got to view it from a helicopter to see that. It's yeah, yeah, we got it. We got drones, but if you get up high, you can see it. You can see wow. the shape of it. Yeah, amazing. So you once, you once, I think it was you, who said that history is basically the uh, the story of the Jewish people, God acting through the Jewish people, or that the the Bible is the diary of the Jewish people. Yeah. Well, God it's picked possible that it's God's personal diary. One of the ways of reading, reading the Torah, if you put it in first person, like in the beginning God created heaven and earth, 
Mm -hmm. Make it personal. Say, in the beginning, I created heaven and earth. And on the first day, I did this. On the second day, I did that. And then I created Adam and Eve, and they ate from the tree. And then I sent them, and I, it's all a diary of, of him. Mm -hmm. It's his description of what he did, why he did it, how he did it. So it's, it's, uh, it's a whole new look at, uh, at, at the Torah, you know, a different perspective completely. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the approach I've taken as a filmmaker, you know, raised in a Christian background is, okay, um, I want to look at this in a fresh way. And I like the fact that it, I started seeing that it, God is outside of time and space. In other words, he's, he, can, he can tell us what's, he knows the past, the present, and the future. He's outside of our time and space. And here we are in time and space trying to understand it. Um, and, uh, 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 but I do think that uh, God chose Abraham, you know, and, and through him, uh, there was a light that was born uh, to, to, you know, I think that uh, trying to think of it said through Abraham's seed, all nations would be blessed. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm now exploring those, you know, those questions. I'm, I'm looking for this picture here. I don't know if you could see this giant footprint, but if I held it up to the camera, let me just see if you can. Oh, I got a little reflection. If you can see that footprint there. Well, not too well because of the because of the reflection. Mm -hmm. But there's a footprint in there, and uh, I'll send you a picture of it so you could you could uh, could see it. But if we think about this, is that God chose the Jewish people to reveal? Well, I said it this way once to Rabbi Hartman. I said, God chose the Jewish people to reveal himself at Mount Sinai so that then they could reveal who he was to the world. And I think if you look at history, that's pretty much what's happened. That's an incredible view. Mm -hmm. That's really, really something. But, you know, you mentioned that the people died out in the desert. It's a fascinating insight. Moses was told to speak to the rock, and instead he hit the rock. And his punishment, so to speak, his punishment was that he wouldn't enter into the land. Basically, what that means is that he would have the same fate as the people he brought out of Egypt. They were not going to go into the land. They were going to die in the desert, in the wilderness. And, uh, and so was he. So it turns out that Moses did not make a mistake by hitting the rock. He made a choice either speak to the rock and make God look good, because rocks listen to God's word, or protect the people, because sometimes you talk to the people and they don't listen. So if the rock does and the people don't, it makes the people look bad. So Moses decided that his loyalty has to be with the people. That's his job. He's the shepherd. And so he hit the rock knowing that by, by aligning himself with the people, he would share their fate, hmm. which explains a really difficult, I mean, uh, perplexing question. If he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock, why is the punishment that he doesn't go into the land? What, what, what's one got to do with the other? You see, 
The punishment doesn't fit the crime. There's no relationship there. It's almost like God thought, okay, what's, what does he want the most? That's what he's not going to get. It just seems a little vindictive, you know? Mm-hmm. But now it makes a lot of sense. He knew that that's what would happen because he chose to share the faith of those he brought out of Egypt. Mm. And of course, he was going to be buried with them. Now we are taught that those people, because they refused to go into Israel, they lost their portion in the world to come, which means they will never be resurrected. Mm. But because Moses is buried with them in the same wilderness, and he will be resurrected, in his merit they can all come along. Mm. Which means that in the end, Moses will bring them to the promised land, and he would not go without them. So the whole story takes on a whole different meaning. Moses didn't make a mistake, he didn't lose his cool, he chose to be loyal to the people, which is a powerful message for Jewish leaders, that they have to protect the people even more than God's name, and that uh, in the end, Moses succeeds. He took them out of Egypt to bring them to the Promised Land, and he will, no matter how long it takes. So it's a whole new, it's a whole new picture here. Mm. So those people whose graves you're visiting, they've got a future. Well, they had a long time to think about the, the you know, the, the decision that they made, the 40 years, uh, while well, a lot of them died off. So I never, I never heard that uh, perspective before. That's the first time I heard that. And, uh, and so, well, what we're, you know, as, as you know, what we're doing uh, is continuing on trying to, to sort these things out. It's always a challenge for us because we're always trying to find a way to make films, you know, uh, trying to make them uh, is not a, an easy financial process. So some people always say, well, why is, it, why, why is it taking you so long? Well, it's because, you know, we don't always have the resources to, to make the next film. We have to wait and, uh, for things to develop. But we do see an opportunity now in the future to try to do about four hours a year. That's the goal. And I think if we can continue to do that, then we're going to go from the, the next one I'm working on starting in the fall will be the Red Sea uh, crossing, uh, the question of the miracle of the parting of the sea, the journey to the sea, what sea was it? Does God, how deep a water can God part? <laughs> Does he need help with nature? Is it a natural phenomena or is it a supernatural phenomena? Uh, there's different crossing sites. Some of them are uh, shallow pieces of water that are merely, let's say, six to 12 feet deep and, and others are thousands of feet deep you know, like the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, are there real chariots remains on the bottom of the seafloor? You know, we've got divers that are searching, diving, looking for coral encrusted chariot wheels, uh, bones and things like that. And then we'll go on from there uh, to Saudi the next Arabia film. allowing this exploration? What was that? Is Saudi Arabia allowing diving? Uh, uh, there's interest now. Saudi is changing. And... Uh, so I've got, I actually got called yesterday about that, about possibly doing interviews there, because I've been to Saudi, and lots of other people have, and we have quite a bit of footage about the location in Saudi called Jebel Laws, mm. and um, 
So things are changing. They're going to that whole area that that uh, that the mountain is in is uh, developed for a whole international development uh, that the Saudis are working on, billions of dollars in there, and um, it's it's centered around that that area. So who knows what what the future holds for that area for tourism and. Uh, the Saudis and other interviews that I've done, you know, believe that Moses lived in Midian. Jethro uh, is a Midianite, and Northwest Saudi Arabia is the land of Midian, predominantly. So, in the future, uh, the, the the film after the the Red Sea will be the journey to Mount Sinai. So we're going to look at the traditional Mount Sinai, and there's inscriptions there that people say is related to Moses and Manna and you know, references. We're going to look at the other mountains along the way, as well as the one in Saudi Arabia. And then we get to, well, what happened at the mountain? What was the, what were the deals that were made? You know, the covenants that were made and the, the legacy of what happened and how did it influence the rest of the world? Uh, so that's sort of where we're going in the next uh, two to three to four films. Uh, and so our goal is to, you know, to put out several hours each or four hours a year. That's the working idea now. It's just so much research, you know. So do you have time for anything else? <laughs> well, yesterday I took off and went with my couple grandchildren and oh. went on a trip. Uh, but, yeah, I'm trying to make time for other things. Uh, family is really important to me. I have four married children and eight grandchildren. So it's a good start. Yeah. I can't keep up with you, but... <laughs> Anyway, you should have great success. It's a wonderful project. It's about time. Somebody had to do it, and you were blessed with the opportunity. So, yeah. Great success. Well, thank you very much. Good to see you again. We'll, we'll come visit soon. That sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world. Let's change the world.